Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Hey, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, folks. It's V, the Grill Economist, and I have with us the man of the hour. He needs no introduction. Well, actually, he does need an introduction. It's the first time here on Rogue, so we're excited to have him on. Uh, he's a good friend of our friend, uh, Matthew Errett, so it's our pleasure to have Joaquin Flores on. Joaquin is educated in the CSULA, uh, mentored by Dr. Michael J. Sillers, expertise is in color revolution, Coup and counterinsurgency, labor and community organizing, theology, 19th and 20th century, political thought, occult and esoteric studies. His relevant experiences, he's a consultant on color revolutions, uh, former SEIE chief negotiator, director for the Center of Syncretic Studies in Belgrade, editor-in-chief of Fort Russ News, analyst for Strategic Culture Foundation, Russian Foreign Intelligence Service, Russian Academy of Sciences, Russian Foreign Ministry, consultant for the Katakan Think Tank Project under... S. Glaziev, uh, and he's also, uh, he's actually, coincidentally, folks, he's been investigated by the Mueller's in the Russia Gate. during that whole entire Russia hoax nonsense that happened. And, of course, Joaquin was completely exonerated, had nothing to do with that. We all know the hoax that is the Russian hoax. And with that being said, Joaquin, thank you for being uh, on with us. It is a treat for us to be here. And and, and somebody of your expertise that you're a a master of what, of what seeing uh, of of, of uh, recognizing what is happening geopolitically, geostrategically. So, where would you like to begin? Uh, welcome uh, yet again, Joaquin. Uh, th- thanks for uh, having me. To the honor and pleasure is all mine, and for your illustrious uh, <laughs> introduction. I said, Who's this guy? <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, um, the the world in which we live is is uh, is in. Total, total chaos, but there's a method to the madness. And so in my work with the public, uh, one of the things I, I try to do is to deconstruct that and make it more uh, understandable, uh, all of the moving parts and to understand uh, what's going on in the world. Because if you don't understand, if you don't see what's happening, it's very hard to know where you stand with it and, and what you can do to resist it or, or whether you should roll over, go home or what. So, Exactly. Very well said. Where do you want to begin, Joaquin? What do you think is right now like the, some of the main things that are on your radar screen that you're following closely, and also what is happening globally is, as the United States is the the empire of chaos is falling apart, and there's many things that are happening because of this. So if you want to take us down the rabbit hole, feel free, my friend. Yeah, so uh, what's interesting is, is to connect a lot of things that we see happening in in regular news, uh, like with the Travis Scott situation that happened uh, in Texas with the show, yeah. with the, uh, what was it, Astrofest or whatever it was, mm-hmm. and um, and some of the weird things that happened with that. And um, and there's a, there's a sort of saying that um, millionaires uh, deal in the rational and scientific, but billionaires deal in the mystical and the occult. Yes. And there's a reason that at the very high level, uh, you know, you actually uh, the occult thing is very big and people see it, of course, through through Hollywood, but they don't necessarily understand that all of the um, big global institutions ranging from, uh, let's say, the IMF, uh, the World Economic Forum, uh, that they are committed um, to some very weird, you know, we, normal people would call weird, weird practices, right? So um, I would connect this recent thing uh, at the Travis Scott concert and maybe more than eight people uh, were killed, really, um, to, to 
larger practices, uh, even even the the deaths and destruction that are caused, uh, let's say in the 20th century with with both world wars, right, and and what kind of entity this produces. So while my background, my expertise is in in uh, insurgency, counterinsurgency, in the rubric of international relations, geopolitics, uh, what surprises people, uh, I think, the most is that it's very much connected to uh, the mystical and the occult. So, you know, we all, many of us know that symbology is a powerful thing to the global uber elite. That even though, you know, we at, at, our, at our level don't believe in these things, the fact of the matter is that these psychopaths do. And that predicates and plays a very, very important role into some of the things that they're into some of the policies they concoct and create and whatnot. So uh, you're absolutely right. I think you hit the nail on the head, man. I mean, symbols are a powerful thing, man. And, and, and I, you know, one of the things also we've, you know, one of the terms that have been tossed around, especially with this whole uh, Astro uh, Fest or whatever the heck it was, that whole Travis Scott concert was, many people are starting, are starting to throw around that term ritual sacrifice. What do you think is the connection there between what has occurred in Houston uh, and how that would perhaps will connect to the to what's happening in the world? Yeah, so the elites, the one of the problems that used to exist um, as elite power increasingly grew in in its stature. Um, through the 18th and 19th century, right? So if you were to go back uh, to the world of the 16th and 17th century, of course, you had some powerful families, right? People know like the Medici's in Italy and so forth. So, you know, you could, we can trace back maybe 500 years of, of very strong financially connected families in Europe, for instance, yeah. right? And now, but one of the problems that would arise are these uh, internecine, uh, conflicts between elites, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, they found that there would be tremendous weaknesses in the overall pursuit of shared interests of the elites if the elites were bogged down in this constant sort of cannibalistic practice of attacking each other, right? Yeah. So moving forward through the 19th and early 20th centuries, uh, what happened at the beginning of the 20th century um, began to be the roots of what's called the managerial revolution. And a lot of these things um, in the managerial revolution were how to connect new management sciences and new management techniques, which paralleled the rise of industry. So you have like assembly lines and, you know, mass manufacturing. So how can you build cohesion around a managerial class that is, fit for purpose for uh, economies of scale. And then likewise, how do you then create a, a, an elite uh, that can be on the same page about so many things, right? Because if you have billionaires going to war with each other, uh, that creates opportunities for, you know, historically, you might have other world powers might be able to attack you, or you might have the middle class or the working class or the peasantry might be able to unite around a more populist agenda that um, might result in what elites don't want to see, which is, you know, greater power in the hands of everyday people. So even and and when a, uh, it's very hard to bribe elites with money because money they're not short of. So how do you keep elites sort of on the same page? And they arrived at uh, the need for a cult, uh, what we would call esoteric, the study of Hmm. Um, occult organizations. And, you know, people talk about the Masons or they talk about these different, you know, free, Freemasons, they talk about the Illuminati. And uh, even though these might not be terms that uh, they call themselves, um, there's different organizations that existed historically. But the big revolution in this science came sort of parallel with the rise of the second industrial revolution, uh, right now, we have a lot of talk about fourth industrial revolution. So there was a third and there was a second and a first. And what rose with the second industrial revolution and in, uh, towards the close of the 19th century, this is 
an industrial revolution, which gave rise to the, you know, the machines of, of industry and war, which made uh, the first and even more so second world war possible, right? You have like the Nazis with the Blitzkrieg, you have the, uh, the, the motor, the motor cavalry and stuff like this, right? So there's a managerial component to what you see, what you see in mass production and in industry, there's a, a managerial component, but people are not machines and people are held together uh, by, by in, in the elite thinking, by fear and, and through the building of these uh, esoteric and occult organizations, right? So um, what happened is they sort of have been refining the science and and in that science it comes their their symbol their symbolism and it's a way that they can project power um but people should know uh the the, the silver lining on that cloud is that their need to project power is an implicit recognition that there is in fact a power deficit so we shouldn't all be feeling like we're just defeated right so right exactly very well said it makes perfect sense man um, recently, uh, uh, you know, I mean, we have the, the situation here in the United States where, you know, with, ever since the whole pandemic, um, there's been a, a dividing line between red states and blue states. We have the situation in the European right. countries that are, you know, it, it's like everybody's using this as an excuse to erect a biomedical security state, uh, stamping out of individual freedoms, human rights. You have the health, right. the head of the Australian Health Administration stating that anybody who is uh, unjabbed, because I can't even use the V word in uh, YouTube, right? So anybody who's unjabbed right. or unpoked or untreated will live a very lonely and uh, solitary life. I mean, this is the, the insanity right. of this. It's incredible because for so many decades, Joaquin, the West has always been the purveyors of freedom, the purveyors of liberty. Right. And now they're tyrannical in ways that not even in Nazi Germany or even during the the, 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 the the height of repression in the Soviet Union, have you ever seen anything like this? That's right. Well, yeah, I mean, to, to piggyback on that, I would say that the, um, the, the need to exercise power in this way, um, even though there's this gargoyle effect and people are kind of like a, in shock and awe at the blitzkrieg of, of the lockstep, uh, power on display. Uh, these are not, even though they are power symbolisms, right? What they infer is a deficit of power, of power in decline. So what, what you are seeing uh, in the A5 countries in particular, I mean, the US, Canada, in particular, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and England. Uh, but what you're seeing in Western Europe and the A5 countries is this display, sort of like this lashing out uh, because there had been a goal uh, to have a series of geopolitical victories, which really failed to materialize. And uh, they had a plan for what I guess in the common parlance is sometimes called the new world order or a one world government. And in fact, that failed. So this is a different take than a lot of people who have taken the black pill. Uh, but the red pill on this is actually that the NWO project failed. It failed. You had people like Wolfowitz and Pearl and Rumsfeld, the, the right. project for a new American century. They were warning that this agenda was going to fail if we didn't act quickly. We, meaning the power elite in the U.S., uh, the military industrial complex and the, the corporate industrial complex. And uh, so they, they tried to get a foothold in Iraq, but that failed. Uh, then you had the comeback kid, uh, Obama and McCain. Uh, they tried to get the ISIS thing going, failed, right? They tried to create a failed state in Ukraine, uh, which a failed state as the sort of end game of the Arab Spring tactic sure. in Ukraine failed. So the Arab Spring tactics to create these uh, these 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 growing cancerous black holes of instability uh, and, and intrigue uh, where where you just would breed just sort of a sort of Mad Max scenario of roving gangs and, and the sort of the decomposition of civil society, really in absolute terms, uh, this failed. And um, they had planned this to be able to neutralize or eradicate uh, potential growing power vectors, uh, counter hegemonic, potentially counter hegemonic power vectors on the geopolitical stage. 
and and this failed. So e even though it's absolutely correct to look at various um, exercises that that elites had run uh, connected to the V, uh, connected to different uh, you know global uh, mysterious illnesses that they may have planned, um, even though those plans have been long extant and long developed, um, that doesn't mean that the rolling out of that plan uh, is symbolic of of power. It's a it's a yeah. symbol it's a symbol of power, but it's not rather representative of a position of power. Um, these are things that they time to roll out, and they must roll out at within a given time frame. And that's the symbolism. So we, we, even though people look at occult symbolism, we can sort of circle back around to what you saw on the stage uh, at the Travis Scott show right. uh, with the sort of the portal opening to the gates of hell, right? And you sort of saw what looked like a head uh, very similar to the, to the work of, you know, Anonymous Bosch or something. And, and you know, the, the, when, when Jesus went to hell to, to save you know, the, the, the damned, Sure. Um, and just sort of going through the mouth. That was all in the symbolism there. But the other symbolism that people don't quite always grasp is the symbolism of the event taking place when they said it would take place. Uh, for example, if I tell everyone that you're going to say a certain set of words on a certain date, and that's going to be proof that I have mind control over you, and then you say those words on that date, that's a symbol that you are you know, on the agenda. And likewise, rolling out these events that we've seen with the uh, where people can't leave the house or people need to show certain documents to, to access basic services, all within the rubric of a mystery illness. Uh, this was planned, of course, but it doesn't mean that they have their, you know, proverbial excrement together on a whole bunch of other, you know, range of, of interrelated issues, if that makes sense. They, they yeah. in fact, need to do that so that there's no doubt that they're moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Moving forward, when you look at uh, recently, there the desire of these uh, these psychopaths, these sociopathic nut jobs, in order to move forward in their way, their last ditch effort, their hail mary play, which we've seen kind of put out there, not only with this right. whole entire pandemic thing, but with COP twenty six. What are these idiots missing, man? Because it's like yeah. they've deballed. They've de they've gutted out. They've effeminate, if, you know, effeminized the entire West, and now they're looking to use some sort of strength right. they have, which they have no strength. You can't weaken, you know, and effeminize right. your entire population and expect your population to go fight for you. And now you got these old, obsolete idiots. Right, I like to call right. them in some regards the obso elites meeting in Davos, COP twenty six. Your thoughts, Joaquin? Yeah, so so COP26, people know that this is a, basically about the climate change, right? So this is all connected to, in the U.S., it's called the Green New Deal, uh, which is also all part of the so-called Build Back Better. So people would be familiar with this in the U.K., in, in Australia, New Zealand, Canada, the U.S. People are familiar with this expression, Build Back Better, which is sort of a rebrand of sort of taking into the, the Great Reset Right. And taking piggybacking on the Green New Deal. And so COP26 is uh, is comes on. This is the 26th installment of these conferences uh, committed to, to climate change. Uh, they used to call it global warming and until uh, it wasn't always warming. And and how do we describe very cold winters instead? Uh, well, it's, it's climate change. So uh, we <laughs> so we wind up with this um, plan to to get agreement around uh, cooling the planet, okay, and this is very important because, in the same way that whole uh, whole swaths of the population have figured out that uh, the, that the that the uh, mystery illness is in fact an order of ten times smaller than the meshing of the surgical masks <laughs> that people have to wear, oh, God. Yeah. and so they're kind of learning that this that this, there's problems with the science there. Um, they're also starting to learn that, um, you know, maybe the maybe the world is warming and maybe it's not because the tools that we're using uh, are not uh, accurate. And in some cases, there's strong evidence 
that they, as as my colleague uh, Matthew Eret uh, has pointed out in some of his work, uh, yeah. citing other other research previously, that they fudged the data about the relative uh, temperatures from the medieval period during Correct. the medieval warming period um, to make it look less warm. And of course, we know that during the medieval warming period, you didn't have you know big industry and cars and coal burning coal. Yet it was warmer during this period than it is now. Uh, if we look at the data, that's not fudged. So that raises big questions. Now that doesn't mean, by the way, that, that doesn't mean that that anthropogenic global warming is not a phenomenon. It simply means that it's um, that periods in the past have been warmer. I mean, one yeah. could argue that it should be cooler than it is right now, just just yeah. to be coherent and and not. Uh, you know, make an abstract leap that's not justified by by the data. However, however, that might not be a relevant argument at all, uh, because uh, there, when the world warms, like if it is warming, uh, in fact, what happens is that it creates what's called the greenhouse effect. Okay, and the greenhouse effect, the reason that people uh, plant their gardens when they can under glass roofs to create a greenhouse is because the plants grow larger. So plants don't seem to have an aversion to high temperatures. Uh, what in fact the aversion that they have is to dryness and right. to dehydration. Okay. So in other words, if they have light and they have warm temperatures and hydration, then they just grow very large and lush and you get larger uh, larger crop yields. Okay. Yeah. So if you were uh, a psychopath, as, as you use the word so, so very well, uh, if you were a psychopath who wanted to control a population by controlling the food supply, uh, then not only would you be like Monsanto and release terminator seeds so that farmers had to keep coming back to the same seed bank and purchase them at extortionate prices to replant a crop, which would have naturally uh, you know, normally would have regenerated through the seeds falling back onto the soil. Uh, these are seedless plants, right? So that's designed towards a market function that is a sustainability model for the company, not a sustainability model for human beings or for life or for crops, you see. So right. likewise, if you, uh, if, if these GMOs, uh, if they are trying to genetically engineer these plants to produce a crop yield under low light and dry and cool conditions. And they're doing that, okay? So they're not researching how to grow big. So this is how you tie all the BS together, right? They're not researching how to grow plants uh, under conditions of a greenhouse effect because greenhouse effect is what makes plants grow super abundant. That's how you might double or triple a crop yield, right? So you have what's called the uh, a couple of terms you have what's called the habitable zone or the most the, the most largest habitable zone of the planet which is between like the tropic of capricorn and the tropic of cancer right and we call that the tropical zone and when the temperatures of the earth increase then the tropical zones increase right that's why they go into like brazil to plant and they might cut down old growth forests which is not good but they get the best crop yields for regular things in the tropical zone. So what would happen if that tropical zone were to extend north, uh, south into Patagonia or south into sub-Saharan Africa, deep, in, you know, by South Africa? God forbid you'd be able to feed Canada. people. What would happen if that tropical zone, you'd be able to feed people. So that's why they're, that's why they are working against global warming. Not, it's irrelevant whether the wor world is growing warmer or not. They're trying to actively cool the planet, okay? They yes. want to move into creating sunscreens or releasing uh, sort of micro-aluminum particles uh, in the air that will block, that will be artificial clouds, yes, that will, uh, that will cool, that will reflect the light back up and not allow the warming of the planet to occur. Then you will be dependent upon uh, these Monsanto and Bill Gates-type enterprises uh, for plants that might be, uh, you know, marginally, arguably more resilient to that GMO plants that might grow under cooler, drier conditions. 
So they've turned they've but they've completely turned things you know upside down on, on you know on people's heads are completely scrambled on this. They're concerned that they're showing, for example, uh, and I remember this as a kid. Uh, they're showing the growth of the Sahara Desert. Yeah, you know, in connection with global warming, but the but the Sahara Desert is a product of the Ice Age, and in Correct. fact, we are in an Ice Age right now. We've been yes. in an Ice Age for the past, I think, ten or thirty thousand years. You know, don't forgive me if I'm wrong on those, but it's about it's in that range. So we're in it. We're in a mini Ice Age right now. So the Sahara Desert, yes, was once a tropical zone, but that requires global warming for that for that desert to transform. So into a tropical zone. So people may, who may not know that they don't live in the desert, it gets freezing cold at night. It's not hot at night. Okay. So cool, cooling the earth is related to deserts and, and warming the earth creates uh, a, 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 a rain cycle that's called uh, the, the, the water cycle. Okay. And so the war, the more that you warm uh, the earth, you might get some evaporation of the ocean but then it, what that does is it increases some of the maybe the rate of salinization of the ocean, but you increase the, the, the rain uh, of, of fresh water, okay, because the salt stays in, in the ocean, doesn't evaporate, right? So you get fresh water, rain, so you, you increase uh, the amount of available fresh water uh, in the water cycle. So... Um, these are the, just, for example, the upside down world. Uh, I have no doubt in mind, my mind that when we get through this impasse historically, that a century from now, we will look back at this period as, 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 as one of the darkest dark ages in humanity where, where, where science uh, was turned on its head and, um, and, and weaponized in such a way uh, to, to work to, to present things which are patently false. We look at them on the face of them and we can look at them in the eye and it's just ridiculous. You know, we, we know that when the planet warms that you increase the amount of available fresh water, it increases the crop yields, you increase the tropical uh, ideal habitable zone on the planet. So um, all attempts to stop that warming or actually these are being done to justify the development of technologies that will be used to cool the planet. They would like to have, uh, you know, summer days be in the, well, in Fahrenheit, like in the 60s and 70s instead of the 80s and 90s. So they want to cool the planet by several orders of magnitude. Yeah. It makes perfect sense because when you look at what, the, what these uh, psychopaths from the West want to do, uh, they want to limit technology. They want to limit growth. They want to deindustrialize us. This is the reason also why Bill Gates is uh, buying up farmland at a rapid clip, um, yeah. you know, and then roll out carbon taxes, which is another cap and trade. Can right. you talk to us, um, Joaquin, about the mysticism, this new religion, this, this yeah. carbon tax system and this mystical system, how it's just not justifiable by any real science, any real material science, or any real, real, you know, concerns whatsoever, this whole nonsense that is carbon tax and how it fits into their broader agenda. Right. So, so basically, what what has happened, and people who know the history of the 20th century uh, know that at a certain time in the 19th century, uh, and going back several centuries, of course, you had the Portuguese Empire, the Spanish Empire, the French Empire, the British Empire. And they had successfully built, you know, colonies uh, in what's called, in many people call the global south, but it's really not that accurate, but it's the, the rest of the world, right? The so-called developing world. Sure. And, they, and so they built these uh, colonies. Now, um, in the period of the 20th century, uh, it was a, a process of several world wars, the redivision attempts to redivide uh, the world and control these colonies in new ways. You had uh, independence movements. You had the development of the United Nations, where every country is nominally sovereign. They're no longer uh, the property of France or the property of the British Empire, and so forth. So you have you know independence of the Philippines. You have independence of of, of all the countries of Africa. You have independence of the countries of Southeast Asia. This resulted, of course, you know the Vietnam War was a is initially a, a conflict fought uh, developing out of the the anti-French uh, colonial movement, right? 
So you have this post-colonialism and you have countries that are developing and emerging as regional hegemons, but they're definitely breaking out of this uh, system that's controlled by the, um, the British banking establishment, uh, the city of London and their, their, their analogs in, in Wall Street and in New York and so forth. So now this has been, this has been a, an attempt uh, after World War II, as we talked about, there was an attempt to, by some uh, world leaders to create a more just uh, global system of mutual uh, development that would have protected everyone's interests with the idea that there's some connection between development and stability. Okay, But what happened is that it was, uh, so this was the origins of the Bretton Woods Agreement, but this was subverted in a way to kind of reinforce the power of the big, uh, big wealthy banking families whose name starts with R. And um, so now these countries though in the developing world took on these loans from the IMF, they took on these debts and they were forced to sell assets, uh, industries, uh, raw materials, uh, labor of their workers at, at low prices, but they continued and they struggled on and eventually they developed a high degree, a lot of these countries have developed a, a high degree of sovereignty, countries like um, Indonesia, countries like Japan, of course, China, very well, very well known, countries like uh, Mexico and Brazil, right? So these are countries, South Africa, that have emerged uh, with higher degrees of sovereignty than are comfortable or manageable for the uh, Western banking elites. And so what they used to do is be able to control directly militarily. Uh, we can look, though, at the evolution of military uh, balance of power. And we are at a very interesting time when uh, defensive anti-air systems are about two generations uh, more effective than uh, latest generation aerial uh, offensive. So in other words, an a anti-air technology that was built in the 1960s can take out a fourth generation fighter or bomber uh, from the, one of these air forces of, uh, let's say, the United States or the UK. And now you look at even more advanced anti-air systems and, and one system can target you know, several dozen uh, at a time planes and hit them at a 98, 95% accuracy rate almost 100% of the time. Right. So, so this means that countries can know that that the former imperial powers can no longer directly subjugate these countries militarily or economically, and that's mm. been the sort of the winning solution going through the 19th, 20th century. So now uh, that little history tour brings us to the present moment. Now to more directly tackle your question about a uh, very, very excellent question, by the way, about this mysticism and this new religion of of, of global warming and what COP 26 and and the sort of global Green New Deal cap and trade uh, is all about. So um, they have been promoting this, this, we talked about the nonsense of global warming already, so that's understood. And now they're weaponizing that not only to deindustrialize uh, some countries, but to enslave other countries through this religion. And there's a lot of historical parallels, and uh, this is not to offend anybody. This is, you know, um, uh, something that is just a way of understanding historical paradigms. So in the medieval period uh, was different from the Roman Empire uh, because there was more decentralization and that decentralization was made possible by certain technologies like the windmill and so forth. But there was even through the, through the so-called dark ages, uh, especially um, leading up to the Carolingian uh, Renaissance and, and, and after into the medieval period, um, you had increased decentralization with the exception perhaps of the Carolingian dynasties, but you had sort of increased decentralization and the, the transformation of slaves, because the Roman empire was built on slavery, uh, into uh, free peasants who owned their own land. And, and one could argue that they were sharecroppers and conditions were not great, but anyone who, who's been a slave versus being uh, a sharecropper would know that it's better to, to, not be a slave under any conditions because slaves can be killed and have no rights at all. So this idea that people have rights emerged out of decentralization. Anyhow, so now for the center of Roman Empire being Rome, in order to kind of reintroduce or, or to transform into something, 
they weaponized um, a religion, which don't get me wrong, uh, very well uh, for, you know, for myself included, is, is true, generally Christianity. And I'm not against this, so people shouldn't misunderstand what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is that the, is that the ideology and the structures of the church were used to the tithing system to use an abstract, mystical, very difficult to quantify in terms of economics or science, okay? Uh, unlike economics, unlike military, okay? As the city of, as Rome itself was unable to send legions, right? Couldn't send Roman legions to, you know, conquer this city or that. Uh, they used the, the assets that they had built over time, such as uh, the use of scribes, you know, monks, uh, in centers of learning, which, which the church built initially, to to uh, to reinforce the system of tithing as not as a voluntary thing. People think of tithing you give you know voluntarily, but this is a forced system of tithing. All right, right. that's the parallel to today because you have all the same factors. So you have basically the, the decline of an empire, the growing powers of regions around the world. Uh, you can't control them economically or militarily. Okay, but you can introduce this this mysticism. At least Christianity could be true. Okay. Now the thing is that the thing is that uh, this cap and trade system and the myth of of climate science absolutely is not true. Okay. So it's mysticism, but they have to get. They're using the institutions that once had credibility. They're using the institution, just like the church's institutions and the monastic orders and the scribes, and the, you know they're, they're responsible for reproducing many great works of Aristotle and Plato and philosophers and the Bible, of course, you know. But they weaponized those once they lost economic and and uh, political power. They weaponized those to to try to figure out how to get that money back, you know. Right? So now that's what they're doing with uh, cop with with cap and trade, and. People already probably understand the mechanisms involved, but basically uh, big companies that are also the, the, this is the contradiction. So I'm not even saying this is true in terms of the, the impact of the problem, but just within their own rubric of, of nonsense, try to try to wrap your head around this. So basically a very big company, which by definition are the bigger polluters because they're the bigger companies, uh, they are in the financial position, especially when you have uh, a Federal Reserve and, and fiat currency that just in printing money to infinity. So they can buy these carbon credits that that they can continue to produce at the same rates of carbon emissions that they always have. You see, they, 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 there's right. no. So they because they can use fake printed money printed from thin air to offset the, you know, the requirements and to purchase what are called carbon credits. They can they can purchase carbon credits from the from, this is so messed up, from the companies of the developing worlds that have to earn these credits or from other companies that have bought credits so they can trade credits and you can bank them. So, you know, I, in theory, it's about how to save, how to save the environment using market mechanisms by introducing a new type of dollar, how you have like the petrodollar. So now this is like the carbon dollar, the carbon credit dollar. Okay, this is what they're trying to transition from the petrodollar into the anti-petrodollar, right? So uh, it's the carbon credit dollar, and this is meant to to tie countries that are breaking into sovereignty, that are breaking out of of the matrix, and to tie them back into a system using a mystical pseudoscience, using something that can't be quantified or proven scientifically or economically, and then to use that to force countries to produce less. And that makes them more reliant on the industries that are allowed to produce the carbon, which are going to be those countries that are connected to the deep states of the countries that have uh, their own uh, privatized central banking or non lack of central banking, if you will, in many ways, you could say that, uh, which, which they can just print money from thin air. So that and and the thing about developing countries is that even though they're building sovereignty, uh, as people know, um, their currencies are very much dependent on the value of the dollar because that's the global reserve currency. And so countries, when they trade between each other, will often use a, a more stable or, or bigger, more recognized currency to do so. And for many ways, it's a matter of tradition at this point. That the dollar is still used, but of course you have the 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 yuan is growing in significance, and a lot of countries opt for for the euro dollar, but in some ways that's still connected to the petrodollar. 
However, you can still get the general idea that they are using this cap and trade as a way of introducing a new religion that forces developing countries to pay into a tithing system so that the old cash flows that used to go back into the city of London or back into Wall Street uh, by virtue of overt economic and, and political military uh, coercion, now they can just use uh, the science to compel uh, corrupt politicians and economic leaders to, to pay into uh, this church of global warming. Yeah, exactly right, man. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, and it's funny because these idiots, they, they still act like that the rest of the world hasn't figured out the criminal schemes that they've been up to. <laughs> right, right. They still act like that, that Russia is still in, on its back at the right. end of the Cold War. They still act right. like that China is some country that's filled with a billion people in poverty, right. uh, you know, uh, plowing rice fields. They have right. no clue. These people are idiots because they spend a great deal of time living in their own echo chambers with Correct. other like-minded idiots who are also in their own incompetent echo yeah. chambers. Yeah, I mean, they, they built, that's exactly right. And they, they've built industries and the think tanks around this. And, um, you know, it's a strange thing that happens to a culture uh, or, or cultures in decline uh, because they might reach for things that were proven effective models in the past, or they might have these sort of funhouse mirror distorted conceptions of how certain sciences like in social psychology or impression or marketing you know, worked at a time, but they worked at a time in, in combination of other factors that are no longer present. What do I mean by this? So, for example, we might use marketing. We might just repeat over and over that Nikes are better than Reeboks. We might just say that and say that so many times until people just believe it. And then Nike sales go up and Reebok sales go down. But that's dependent upon, first of all, uh, the disposable income of consumers to buy Nikes. So in other words, convincing them that Nikes is better than Reeboks, you can probably do simply through brainwashing or advertising, if you will, through marketing. Um, but if people don't have money for either shoe, then it really doesn't matter, you see. So and that's very similar to where we're at now. And they're using that same idea. They're almost it's actually actually in some ways connected to manifesting and actually connected to occult uh, occult practices in, in which they believe uh, or pretend to believe so that others believe that by um, by saying something over and over that you're sort of doing this law of attraction thing. So they're almost trying to cast a spell uh, using marketing magic and word magic um, from a time in, in marketing history when people had disposable income and and you could you know and you could maybe get them to flip from one product to another, uh, but they had the means to buy either one of those products, and they don't have those anymore. So that's microeconomically, but macroeconomically, we're in the same position. So they 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 think that by saying uh, that China is a backwards impoverished country, that it will become true. Or they right. keep saying that Russia is on the verge of collapse. And every you can look back. I was looking at a, a, a Time magazine cover from January 2000. Yeah. And it was like a statue of Lenin or something uh, or a painting of Lenin. But it had Putin's head on it like this or something like that. And they, they've been on this narrative forever. And that they, they're just, oh, this is on the verge of collapse. And it's sort of you can every day. It's like it's like. Straight up propaganda. Every day, it's the same article, the same headline. Uh, Russia's on the verge of collapse. Okay, um, and what has happened instead is they have what they've really been trying to do is to. Um, this is something that people appreciate. So um, a lot of people have their retirements or their investing um, before the rise of day trading and more economic literacy for individual uh, people who invest, people knew that it was good to invest, but they would normally just work through through a, a larger company. They would just you know, go and, and hand money over and they would allow these trusted uh, brokerage houses to, to manage their investments, okay? In reality, these brokerage companies were tied into intelligence agencies, and they were and they were 
completely operating in the rubric of the military industrial complex, which is tied into Wall Street. OK, but for um, but um, shareholders do get, you know, pamphlets and leaflets and, 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 and information, however skewed it is. And that's supposed to justify the decisions that the CEOs of companies make uh, and their job of CEOs being to, to protect shareholder interest, right? Shareholder value, uh, at least in the, the historic Friedmanian concept of, of that a corporation's, uh, a publicly traded corporation's, you know, only real, uh, um, <clears throat> only real, only real obligations are to its shareholders. Okay. So what, what then happens is that they, they talk like countries like Russia are about to collapse so that even though they know it's false, and they even though they know that Russian companies are sound to invest in, correct? They they will justify decisions. This is before the, the age of sanctions, okay? And I'll, then then I'll explain why they did the sanctions if, if you'll let me. Yeah, absolutely. So what they'll what they'll then do is then use that um, false information. Like, well, look, it's in Time Magazine. Look, it's in Newsweek. Look, it's in Wall Street Journal. Everyone's writing Russia's about to collapse. So as the as the CEO, I can't justify to the shareholders investing in these Russian concerns, these Russian enterprises. Okay. So then what happened with the rise of the internet, what happened with the rise of of, of giant economic blogs that became you know huge uh, websites like Zero Hedge, uh, we, there was a a, a a renaissance in economic literacy among people who who learned about day trading. They learned about how how these things actually work. And they don't work. People don't need to invest through these old legacy institutions anymore. They can just go online and they can manage their own. They can actually follow what other people are doing who, who make money and they can all just invest like how they invest. Right. So what was happening is that people started to invest in Russia and because they saw that the propaganda that Russia was going to collapse never materialized and people that took what looked like a high risk and was rewarded like a high risk, actually weren't taking high risks at all, but they were making a lot of money investing in Russian concerns and enterprises and businesses and firms. So then they had to basically just make it illegal. Okay. They had to make it illegal to invest in certain countries and certain companies. So that's, they started developing these sanctions lists. They knew it wasn't going to cripple Russia. They, that's not going to hurt Russia, these sanctions, by the way, right. it's actually going to, uh, help the Russian economy diversify through a process called uh, import substitution industrialization, which then then is part of a process of, of, of that just allows them to justify things to create security around capital investment, which actually increases investor confidence. Correct. Because one of the concerns, of course, is that when you have too much foreign investment, that they're just manipulating the investment and then they're going to do like what happens a lot in, in Western countries where they do a blowout and they, and they kind of burn it down, right? They kind of pump up the value and then they sell it off and then, it, you know, right? So now we have a very interesting uh, situation where uh, what they did to with the sanctions on Russia, they're now sanctioning people from using day trading uh, to, to, to act against hedge funds. Right. So we saw that happen, I guess, earlier in the year. Uh, was it GameStop? Yeah. Right. Right. So we have was it was it GameStop and AMC GameStop and, and AMC. AMC. Yeah. Yeah. So they were doing that. And so they're actually trying to. And now they are walking uh, on real thin ice because their whole system, their whole system is based upon uh, investor confidence. And if people feel like that, like just give us your money and you're not allowed to choose the stocks that you invest in. Then it's like, how does that, why, you know, go F yourself. <laughs> right. Uh, that that's not the game at all. Right. It's about, it's about, you know, you've done your research and you're, you're, you're either laying a spread out. You're maybe you're following blue chip, you're following or you're, or you're actually investing in one uh, because you know something. Right. So, uh, they, the history of sanctions is, is not actually, it's, it's to reinforce. And by the way, they're not even sanctions. That's propaganda. Sanctions is when sanctions is a, is a law enforcement sanctions is a, is a law enforcement, uh, exercise that can only come about when supranational trade organizations, uh, like the world trade organization, 
uh, like um, or or even a UN Security Council uh, resolution um, finds wrongdoing, and then you can call the economic uh, penalties of that sanctions. Um, one country unilaterally declaring that its citizens are no longer allowed to trade with another country aren't sanctions. That's just Correct. a blockade. That's just uh, you know not allowed to trade with them. Sanctions, but sanctions carries this egomaniacal misuse of language that there's actually some evidence of of malice or wrongdoing involved by the country under sanctions. Um, in this case, the country simply existed. It failed to be destroyed, I suppose, was its wrongdoing. But um, yeah. Very well said. Joaquin, we're nearing the end of the show. We have about uh, two minutes left. Uh, I would love for you to uh, uh, touch base again on, on a couple of talking points that you want to address before we close out the show. Also, how people could follow you, your social media. I put a lot of the links in the description box, uh, uh, but if, if there's anything that I missed to, uh, you know, top that out. Yeah, and, great. If uh, my Instagram's yeah. not there, I'll give my Instagram. Uh, that's the what I'm, uh, you know, there's a couple others, uh, my Telegram um, channel. Uh, and we're following the, the Great Reset and the, and the mystery illness and, and, and the fight back very carefully on that, very closely. And um, I would say to people that, uh, look, the elites are doing all of this, not because they are powerful, but because they are weak. All moves towards centralizing power in this way of stripping people of rights is not a sign of strength. It's a sign of weakness. When the United States after World War II was, in fact, uh, you know, a, a, a bipolar uh, a global semi-global hegemon uh, in, in a Cold War. Um, and, but the United States was very powerful. That's when you had, and they were not concerned about uh, losing power. That's when you had, you know, the sixties and you had basically the, the height of the, you know, ha Maslow's hierarchy of needs and, and the society was actually very quite open and, and people had a lot of democratic rights. So the stripping away of, of, of those rights is not a sign that they're becoming more powerful. It's a sign of their decline. So just wait this out and you will survive this and organize and get involved in your communities. Absolutely. And, and you know quite a bit about organizing uh, yourself, man. And I want to thank you for being on. Uh, Joaquin, I'd love to have you on again and make this a recurring platform for you to come and to share your ideas, your works. Folks, you can get his, you can find Joaquin over at fortrust.com. One of my favorite sites. I had no idea that Joaquin was, uh, was on there, but uh, Fort hyphenrust.com fortrust-russ.com uh go check it out amazing articles Joaquin is there you have a whole bunch of other writers Matthew Arad even writes for there as well go check it out Joaquin once again thank you so much folks thank you for tuning in and look a majority of you thanks to all the with all the shadow banning that's been going on it is important that you hit the subscribe button hit the notification bell it helps us fight against the algorithms as much as possible we've seen Videos with 20,000 views get downgraded to 3,000 views. I mean, it's ridiculous. Hmm. So um, so keep up the good fight. Thank you all for tuning in. Have yourselves a great week. And thank you, Joaquin.